0: This is Alan Seaborn from Winning at Home. Welcome to In Progress, a podcast about faith, life, and how we grow. In this episode, I want to talk about a chapter from the book of Psalms. And we're going to be looking at and reading the entirety of Psalm chapter 19. I'm telling you that ahead of time because... I want to let you know that sometimes I think it's easy for us to, uh, this is a really unique and interesting thing that I've noticed that happens. When I'm speaking to a live audience and I read a segment of scripture that's longer than, say, five verses or so, as I look out at the audience, I can watch people their eyes sort of glaze over, and I can tell that they're mentally checking out. And so I want to tell you ahead of time, we're going to be reading the entire chapter. It's not that long. It's 14 verses. But what I want to do is invite you, instead of what I think is kind of a typical, normal, natural response of checking out a little bit, I want to invite you to really dial in And pay attention even as we're reading maybe more verses in a row than what you're typically used to so Psalm chapter 19 is a Psalm that David wrote and it starts this way the heavens declare the glory of God the skies proclaim the work of his hands day after day they pour forth speech night after night they reveal knowledge They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And that's the first six verses. This chapter, it breaks down really into three specific segments. And so the first segment, the one that we just read, is how God reveals himself in nature. The next segment is about how God reveals himself through his word. And then the final segment is how God reveals himself as we respond to his revelation and what he's done in our lives, how he reveals himself through our lives. And so this first section is God revealing himself in nature. Now I want you to think for a moment, David is writing this chapter, and he was a man who was familiar with being out in nature. And what I think is really cool about this is if you think about what his life would have looked like He's talking about and celebrating how the heavens declare the glory of God. And he goes on and on. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And he breaks down what that looks like. And some of the language is uh, kind of descriptive. And some of the language is more poetic. He's talking about what he knows Because he spent a good chunk of, especially the beginning of his life, as a shepherd. So he would be spending time out in nature. And a lot of that time, you can imagine that he probably spent as the only person that was anywhere in the range that he could see anyone around him. So he's out there with a whole bunch of sheep and nobody else. And what does he do? He looks up he sees the beauty that God created he sees the vast expanse of the sky which you know I live in a city and I can just about stand between my house and my neighbor's house and I can almost touch both of the buildings at the same time if I really reach out my wingspan and that's a very different experience than the one that David had for his life, really up until he became the king and now is living in luxury and, and a congested, you can imagine, city center. But for most of his life, especially for the beginning of his life, he was spending time out in nature and he was experiencing God. When I think about what that looks like for me, I think about the times that I've been able to get out. I'm not a big camper, but the times I get to spend time out away from cities, whether that is camping or whether it's staying in a house, but it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere compared to what I'm used to, where you're missing that light pollution at night and where you can look up in the sky and you can see those stars shining brightly. You know, Normally I can, if I get home after dark or something like that, I get out of the car and I can look up and I can see a few of the main brightest stars. But when you're actually out there in nature and you can look up and you can see God's handiwork, you get how David could say that the skies, the heavens, day after day, They pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. And when we see the beauty of what God has created, when we, instead of just taking it in and moving on, when we actually take the time to... Relish, to enjoy, to bask in the beauty of what God has created. I think that we start to understand who He is and His immensity on a different level than we ordinarily do as we're just going about our daily lives and missing some of the beauty of nature. Some of the things that we can see that are always. Like David says, without words, telling about God, telling about his creativity and his power and his hugeness, his ability to be everywhere, the way that we see what he's created anywhere that we look. And so that's the first section. David talks about God revealed in nature and then he goes on in starting in verse 7 the law of the lord is perfect refreshing the soul the statutes of the lord are trustworthy making wise the simple the precepts of the lord are right giving joy to the heart the commands of the lord are radiant giving light to the eyes the fear of the lord is pure enduring forever The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And we're going to stop there after verse 11, because that's the second segment of what David's writing about here in this chapter. This is the part of the passage where he's talking about God revealing himself through his word. And if you think about it for a little bit, you realize that, okay, David is writing this before much of what we now read and know as the Old Testament was actually compiled. And so when he's talking about the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, the commands of the Lord, what he's talking about are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That was what David had available to him when he was writing this. That was God's word. That was the law of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I don't, spend a lot of time reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and thinking, wow, a lot of these words are more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. Because if we're honest, if we started saying, okay, I'm going to read through the whole Bible, most of us probably made it through Genesis because there's a lot of stories in there and that's It's interesting you're bouncing from one thing to the next and then through Exodus because there's a lot going on still in Exodus. But, you know, after that you go, okay, I made it through Genesis, Exodus, but now I'm in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And there are a whole bunch of chapters right in a row about lineages of people I don't know who they are who had a child that I don't know who that person is either, and it's verse after verse after verse. It's who lived where, and then it gives breakdowns of how the temple needs to be built, gives breakdowns of what kind of offerings are offered when, and exactly, like way exactly, how they need to be offered. And when I read through all that stuff, you're kind of powering through it more than going, wow, this stuff is gold, if we're being totally honest, right? Well, we we have to put ourselves in the mindset of an ancient person to understand how David could write, that the commands, the word of God, the the first five books of the Old Testament that we sometimes find really, really dry and really, really irrelevant, if we're honest, to most of our lives. You go, how did he think it was that? How's he writing these glowing, excited words about stuff that I can barely force myself to read through sometimes? Well, like I say, we need to get into the ancient world way of thinking because we touched on this a little bit in the story of the the prodigal or the lost son but the ancient people were so much more reliant than we are today on famine not happening on drought not happening on herds and flocks not getting diseases or not growing healthy and strong for whatever reason because This was the way that they survived. And families at that time, they could potentially, let's say that my crops have some disease and they don't grow properly one year. Maybe I can lean on my neighbors to help provide the food that's going to keep my family alive that year. But if something happens to my whole community and all of our flocks and herds, spread a disease amongst themselves or it doesn't rain when it's supposed to rain and our crops don't grow or it gets too hot or too cold or think about all the different ways that crops could fail die or never take uh, root in the first place you know i i personally When I first bought my house, I was a single guy at the time. I tried not like a garden. I had a couple plants in the front yard, and I tried to keep them alive, and it didn't go so good. And then when Annalise and I got married and she moved in, we tried two summers in a row to plant a few more plants, some flowers, and try to really make the front of our house look pretty. And both summers, it ended with those things not growing. And it wasn't that big of a deal, right? Because it's like, well, okay, so I don't have pretty flowers in my front yard. But if you lived in the ancient world and your crops wouldn't be flowers, it would be crops that you were relying on to provide food. It'd be wheat and barley and vegetables. And that stuff doesn't grow. What am I going to eat? Now we've got a problem. And so what happened? You may have heard this idea before, but some people talk about the idea that religion, in a lot of ways, was humanity's first attempt at science. Because what happened is, people all over the world, they realized how desperate they were for their crops to grow right, so it had to be... Rainy when it was supposed to and sunny when it was supposed to and warm when it was supposed to and cold when it was supposed to. And they were reliant on their flocks and herds not getting diseases and them losing out on the meat and the milk and the ability to have them do some of the work in the fields, all that stuff. They were completely reliant on nature, being cyclical on things happening when they were supposed to happen. And so early ancient people, they started to think, okay, there must be more than just nature happening here. There must be gods that are making it rain or that are making it be sunny or that are making my herds not get disease and die. And so what they started doing is without these gods having revealed themselves in any way, people started to imagine, okay, I need to start making sacrifices. I need to start trying to make this God happy with me. So this is the origination of idols where people would have kind of their personal gods or they would have an image of the God they were trying to satisfy, the one that they imagined was somewhere up there in the sky that was going to make it rain when it needed to rain so that their crops could grow so that their family wouldn't die. And they would start by offering, who knows, maybe some of their crops when they have a successful harvest or maybe their most choice animal. And you can see can't you, where this would lead eventually? That if you offer what you thought was a good enough sacrifice, but it doesn't rain, or your flocks still get a disease and some of them don't make it, then you think, okay, then this God that I've imagined in my head or that has been passed down to me that somebody imagined in their head, this God isn't, he's not pleased with me. So I need to offer more, and I need to offer more. And can you imagine the, the dread that you would spend all of your time experiencing when you never knew if what you were doing was good enough to make these gods happy that you could actually survive? So what this ultimately led to, is people saying, okay, I've, I've offered what I thought was the most valuable sacrifice I could, and the weather didn't go the way I hoped it would. So I guess this coming crop season, I've got to offer a more valuable sacrifice. Well, what could that be? And people started offering their children as human sacrifices thinking if I give up the thing that matters most to me in the world then that'll be enough then the gods will be pleased then they'll make it so that me and my family don't all die because we can't have food this year and it's into that world that The true God revealed himself to his people and he laid out in painstaking, excruciating detail exactly what it looks like to be in right relationship with him. So people were no longer spending time guessing and hoping that what they were doing was right or was enough. God said, I want you to build the temple, these exact dimensions. And I want it to be made out of this exact material. And I want it to be laid out exactly this way. And I want you to come and offer exactly this sacrifice at exactly this time. And here's what that does. That puts you and I in right relationship. and i want you to let that sink in for a moment because this would have been an unprecedented thing that there was a god now the jewish people could share as they went from place to place you know how you guys think that your false gods these idols that you have they have all these expectations of you and you you have to kind of guess what they are well Our God, the true God, Yahweh, he told us exactly what he wants from us. And we even know the building we're supposed to go offer these sacrifices in. We know exactly what he wants the sacrifice to be. And it makes sense now, doesn't it? That David can write about the law of the Lord refreshing the soul giving joy to the heart, giving light to the eyes, being more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. Because what David understood is that when God revealed himself to people, he wasn't just going on and on because he's like, hey, you better do this exactly right or else... You know, there's going to be consequences. He was saying, you don't have to guess. You don't have to hope. You don't have to wonder if you can ever be right with me, if you can guess the exact combination of things that I want, because I'm not trying to make you guess. I I want to be in relationship with you. And so when God revealed himself, Through his word, what he did is he brought life. And even if we don't get that now, thousands of years removed from when this initial revelation happened, that's what Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, this is God being overwhelmingly gracious and giving and loving to his people because they no longer have to wonder. God reveals himself. and So that's the second section of this passage, Psalm chapter 19. And the third one, starting in verse 12, this is David and our response to God's revelation in nature. And in his word. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And it really just flows naturally, doesn't it? That once we know God has revealed himself in nature, God has revealed himself in his word, that's our response is that now God reveals himself in my life. And that's what David is getting at here. He's saying, God, I I get who you are. I get that you're great and powerful and that you love me and want relationship with me. And I want to align my life with that. So this relationship, it's not coming from the perspective, and this is what I've talked about multiple times from different passages, but we don't follow We don't obey. We don't live within the guidelines that God lays out for us because we know that if we don't, he's excited to punish us. It's not because we know that he's hoping that we mess up so that he can finally get us. It's because we understand that God has gone out of his way To try to help us figure out the best way that we can live. And he's offering us peace, which is at the time that he revealed himself initially to his people, was an earth shattering idea that a God would want to offer peace instead of anxiety and dread and fear. And as a result of knowing this good God, what happens is we live out of that reality to try to build that relationship with him, to try to live a life that lets other people see him working in us and then points them to him because of the way that they see God doing his thing in our lives. And it's really a natural progression, isn't it? When we've seen God revealing himself to us, whether it's in only these two avenues, like David wrote about, of revealing himself in nature, his creation, revealing himself in scripture, his word, or it's other moments where we have You know, some people call them God moments or God sightings or whatever you find yourself uh, calling that moment where you experience God in a unique way. It's a natural response that out of that, we would live lives that are devoted to him. Not out of obligation, not out of guilt, not out of you know, I I guess this is what I have to do, but I'm not really happy about it. But because we know that God is seeking relationship with us, that God has done everything that he can to make a way for us to draw near to him, and now our natural response is to do just that. And when people see us living it out, like I said, they're going to get pointed toward him. And then people are going to see God, not just in nature, not just in his word, but lived out in our lives. Not so people look and say, oh, wow, you're amazing. That Alan, he's just so godly. No, no, no. So that people are pointed toward him. That's what we want to spend our whole lives being all about. And what I think we see here in Psalm 19 is David laying out what that looks like. So let's go do it.